So true confessions today, I'm a control freak. You know what those are like because you are too. So just say to your friend next to you, I'm a control, like we're all control freaks, right? Can we just be honest about that today? We, we try to control everything. It's just how we do things. We want to set the terms and the conditions for everything, including the weather. So we have these incredible people, scientists that are trained and they use in technology, radar and other kind of models and stuff to, to be able to forecast the weather. And, and every day, some of you do this, a lot of us do this, we look at the weather forecast because we want to know how to plan our day. Or man, I say, we want to know how to control our day. But even the best scientists know that patterns shift, weather moves, temperatures change. Even the best forecasters, they don't get it right. The sun shines when the sun wants to shine. The storm happens when the storm wants to happen. The rain falls when the rain falls. And we don't like it, do we? I mean, I got plans today, and it can't rain. I mean, how many times have you shook your fist at the weather? Like, come on! It's windy out. It's going to mess up my hair for the pictures for the homecoming dance. You know, I'm supposed to have sun for this event, and we get upset. It's so simple, but we get upset because we can't control the weather. We can't determine plans because, my goodness, the weather doesn't answer to me. And somehow, we have the same kind of relationship with God. We want to control the weather, and we want to control God. And newsflash just like you can't control the wind, you cannot control God. And that's hard, isn't it? I mean, that's difficult. Here's what you can do with God. You can always predict his character. So his character stays the same all the time. He's always gentle and patient. He's always gracious and truthful. He's always strong and powerful. These are things that never change, no matter the day, the time, the hour but how he uses those character traits, those attributes, it could change all the time. And we wanna be able to predict it so we can figure it out and we can fix things and we can do our lives the way we want them on our calendar, on our agenda, with our dreams, our script, our way. But it's just not how it goes. That's not how things happen. We can't control God and that's hard. So we're in this study working our way through John's gospel. It's kind of a biography of Jesus. And we're learning all kinds of things about Jesus. Really interesting today. It's the first interaction in the Gospel of John that Jesus has an in-depth interaction with a guy. It's one-on-one -on -one with him, this, this in-depth interaction. And what's so interesting about this interaction is this guy sees something powerful about Jesus. He recognizes something of the character of Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he's searching, he's questioning. He's got questions on his mind, but he has preconceived notions of how those questions should be answered. He's got a question for the powerful one, but there's an answer he wants. And when he doesn't get the answer he wants, it unnerves him a little bit. He doesn't like it, as if Jesus is going to fit into his box, as if God's going to fit into our box, as if we can control him. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 3, turn there, John chapter 3, paper or electronic, just love that you can follow along with me in this study, working our way through John's gospel. And we're just in the beginning of it, just starting out, John chapter 3. And I'll just give you a heads up in this passage. There's a phrase that's used 
that in our current climate in America today has an interesting connotation. It's a phrase that some people use and it has some cultural baggage, some negative cultural baggage. It's the phrase born again. And if you have some negative sense when I say born again, some idea of what that means or may not mean, um, I'd encourage you to just let go of your preconceived notions of this phrase born again and allow Jesus to define what born again means. John chapter three, verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. It's a guy who's a part of the religious hierarchy of his time. He's probably like a high level, most reverend, most high bishop. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken of the earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Would you pray with me? God, these are confusing, maybe complex words and phrases and concepts that in our own minds and understanding don't make sense. I pray you would do what only you can do, that you would awaken us to give us ears to hear minds to comprehend what it is that you want to individually speak to every person in the sound of my voice. I ask this in Christ's name, amen. You have this religious guy, a muckety-muck, a big wage, a teacher, a leader, who notices Jesus is powerful. Uh, he, he may have noticed it personally, he may have seen Jesus do something powerful, he may have heard rumors, he may have been present at some miracle. He comes to Jesus at night who knows why he comes at night? Maybe he comes because he doesn't want people to know he's seeking after Jesus. He's afraid of his reputation. Maybe he's coming at night because it's private and he wants a private one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe his work got out late and he's just late and he's just driving home late and he bumps into Jesus. Who knows why he comes at night, but he's curious. He has seen power he recognized something must be from God, so he comes and asks a question. He comes with this disposition. He's like, I see you, Jesus. 
I see you, Jesus. I see you. I know that you have power. I get it. I understand it. I don't understand it. I'm curious. I have questions. And Jesus is like, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus is like, I see you. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. No, you don't at all. Unless you are born again, you can't see nothing, kid. You can't see or understand the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responds the way we would. He'd be like, born again isn't logical. That's not possible. That can't happen. How can I climb back in and come back out? Ta-da, here I am again. Like, that doesn't work. Doesn't compute. No way, Jesus, not buying it. Jesus takes the conversation to the next level in verse 5 when he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Another way of saying you must be born again. He's saying you can't see the kingdom of God, you can't perceive it, and you can't enter it unless you are born again. You think you see, but not only don't you see, but you can't come in unless you're born again. And this is like mind-blowing. Jesus tries to explain it further in verse 6. He says, like flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You were born physically once, and you didn't control the terms and conditions of your physical birth. Spiritually, you don't get to determine the terms and conditions of your spiritual birth. You can't control things. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's making this statement that you're alive physically, but you're not going to come alive spiritually. You can't control this unless you're born again. Just like you can't control the weather, you can't control God. Nicodemus is like, wait, so I come to you and I see you, Jesus. I see your power, and you tell me, no, I don't see you. I come to you as someone who's religious, and I know the right things and the truth, and I practice all these religious things, and now you're telling me I can't have access to the kingdom of God? I'm not in control? He says in verse 9, how can this be? You're telling me, Jesus, that my credentials, my ancestry, my heritage, my spirituality, my tradition, my good deeds, my logic, my science isn't good enough to gain me access to God? Wait, you're telling me that new life, new hope, new joy, new peace isn't available to me unless I'm born again? on your terms, not mine, you're telling me that I don't get to decide whether it's going to be sunny on my birthday or not? I don't get to control the weather? You're telling me that if I want to be happy, I can't control that? I can't buy it? I can't drink it? I can't sex it? I can't push it? I can't force it? I can't sniff it? I can't marry it? You're telling me that if I want peace, I can't get peace just by ignoring you, God? That's not how it's going to come? You mean I don't get to control the weather? I don't get to control my finances? I don't get to control my future, my relationships? You mean I'm not in control? When he says in verse 9, how can this be? It's what we all say to God. Really? I'm not in control? Someone else is? You are? 
And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, no, my friend, you're not in control. You're not in control of your circumstances over these things. And in a very simple but profound way, he explains what's going on in terms and ways that Nicodemus would understand that were custom for Nicodemus. And he says something in verse 14. He references something historical that Nicodemus would know because Nicodemus is a muckety-muck, a religious superpower. He knows certain things about Jewish history. And Jesus references what Nicodemus knows. He references an Old Testament passage. I put that passage in your app. It's Numbers chapter 21. You can read it about yourself. But in verse 14, he says, just as Moses, was, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, that's a reference to something that, that this guy Nicodemus would know about from the past. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And he would understand this because of his history and his experience. Nicodemus knew that God had rescued the Jewish people powerfully, had showed these incredible displays of power. But then the Jewish people get into the wilderness and they start complaining to God, shaking their fist at God, saying, how could you do this? How could you treat me this way? Grumble, complain, grumble, complain. And God's like... I love you guys, but what's the deal with grumble and complain all the time? And God does something kind of crazy. He sends a bunch of snakes into the wilderness, and they start biting the children of Israel. And they're like, God, what's the deal now? God in his sovereignty used those snakes to show them that he was both powerful over everything and loving, that he could rescue them and save them. And they cry out to God. They're getting bit by snakes and dying. They cry out to God, help us. And God says something really wacky. I mean, sometimes the Bible's weird, right? Can we all? He says to Moses, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to take a snake, make a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole and lift it up and tell everybody, look at the snake on the pole and you'll be saved. You'll be rescued. You'll have new life, which just sounds wacky unless you're God. And you want to show humanity you're not in control over nothing. I am. And I'll do things sometimes that just poof, blow your brain. Because I want to know, do you believe in me, not you? So Moses puts the snake up in the air. And anybody that looked at it, they're rescued new life. And, and Jesus knows that Nicodemus knows this historical fact that took place among his ancestors and he uses that example. He says, just as Moses was lifted up in the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him, which may sound crazy, but Jesus would die on a cross, be lifted up in front of people, just like you looked at that snake and you found life. If you look at this Jesus, you will find life because you're not in control. And the way I do things and the way you do things are totally different. If you would just look at my son who was crucified and rose again, you will have life. If you're desperate enough, Nicodemus, if your life is out of control enough because you've messed it up enough, if you would just look at the Son of God. And through this interaction, these 15 verses, you really have the basic understanding of Christianity. I mean, if you look at these 15 verses, this is the basic doctrine, the basic understanding, basic elementary Christianity 
that to be born again and live forever, to be forgiven and live forever, is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus. Because we were all born physically once. We didn't set the control over that, when that would happen, how that would happen. We were born once. And when we were born the first time, we were born into sin and shame. It's by nature and by decisions. We are sinful rebels against a holy God who cannot even look at sin. In his perfection, can't be around people that do what I do, think like I think, act like I act. He can't handle this. He's perfect. And he looks at me and goes, Joe, you're so messed up. You lust, you lie, you chase, you live as if I don't exist. You shake your fist at me as if you're going to control the weather on your birthday. I can't even put up with that. I won't put up with that. And so that sin, that shame separates me from God forever. I long for a relationship with God. I want to be connected to God. So I try to climb my way to God. With my good deeds, I'll clean up a little bit, I'll get a little better, I'll give a little bit more, serve a little bit more, I'll do charitable acts, I'll help old ladies across the street, fill in the blanks, I'll pray, I'll do the rosary, I'll do all kinds of baptisms and catechisms, I'll do all kinds of superstitious things to make myself feel better and climb my way up to God. And he goes, it'll never work, you'll never reach, but I will reach down to you in the person of Christ. And I will bring love and grace to you and he will show up and walk on planet Earth. And John starts out his gospel, and he says in verse 12, to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision or human will, but born of God. You didn't have much to say about your first birth. You can't do anything to control your second birth, but to believe that God designed, promised, and secured salvation, and all we must do is look at Jesus. It's simple and profound and crazy good, but we want it our way and in our time, and we think we can earn it. We think with the right family history, the right religious traditions, the right motions, that we could be born again, and Jesus is like, no, that's not how it goes, Nicodemus. You can't control this. You can believe. And I love this basic doctrine, this basic teaching of Christianity. It's right there for us to look at. And we're going to return to this over and over again as we go back to the, through this gospel because John's going to bring it up again and again and again and again. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? But I just want to step back for a moment and look at this interaction he has with Nicodemus. So he uses this to teach us an important truth, okay? Believe in Jesus, that's life eternal. But there's something about the interaction he has with Nicodemus that's really helpful to me, and I think it's that Jesus knows that it's hard work to believe. He knows this, he understands that it would be easy to say to Nicodemus, let me give you a checklist. If you do this and this and this and this and this, then you will be born again. He doesn't give him the easy button because we would do our list. Oh, check, I'll do that and I'll do that and I'll do that and that. Great, I'm born again, way, great. That would be easy. Instead, he says, no, the work is for you to believe. And he understands that's hard work. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, that's what speaks of. Believing is the work God wants from us. Trusting is our job. Faith is our foundation. It's our anchor. And he knows that's incredibly hard. 
He gets it. That's why he didn't shout through a megaphone across the clouds, believe in me. That's why he didn't do that. He came among us. He walked among us. He loved among us. He taught among us. He was tempted among us. That's why Jesus came, to not shout, believe in me, but to invite us to follow him because he knows it's hard work to believe. Because hear this, when we do religion, religion doesn't work. We try harder with human effort. We try harder with human thought. We try harder with human ways, human sacrifice, human service, and it never delivers on its promise because it's coming from human power and human efforts. But, When you put your faith and trust in God, you get supernatural results. Because it's done with supernatural power that's beyond you and me. You see, we get frustrated with the results of our heads and our hands, our ways. And we wonder why it doesn't work. Because it's our way, our mind, our hands, our efforts. The circumstances and chaos that we do to ourselves, it's ours. But when you begin to trust, put your faith in God, that's where supernatural results come from. The hardest work in that is that you have to check your ego at the door. You have to actually get to the point where you believe, man, I make a mess of things. I screw things up. I can't fix this. I can't solve this. I can't change this. I can't climb my way up to God, and I can't solve my finances. I can't solve my relationship. I can't solve my addiction. I can't fix my marriage. I can't. When I check my ego at the door and say, I can't, that's when supernatural things start to happen. As I begin to trust him, as I begin to follow him, as I begin to do things not normal, I check my ego at the door and I believe that someone, namely God, is in control. And some days I have a lot of faith and most days I have a little bit of faith. Some days I have a lot of doubt and a little bit of faith. Some days I barely drag myself to say, Jesus, I believe you. He understands that it's hard work to believe. But it's the only way. It's the only way to truth and power and miracles and life eternal. And he interacts with Nicodemus. This is incredible to me. He interacts with Nicodemus based on his story and his ability to understand. When I look at this in John chapter 3, I go, man, I'm glad Jesus doesn't have this interaction with me because I've had to study it to try to figure it out. He has this interaction with Nicodemus because Nicodemus understood certain things had a certain band of knowledge and experience, and so he customizes this interaction with Nicodemus based on his story and his ability. He will do that with you as well. Based on your circumstances, your story, your intellect, your maturity, your experience, that's where he starts the interaction. He knew that Nicodemus was a control freak. Before Nicodemus asked him one question, I see you, and he knew by that I see you that Nicodemus was trying to control and manipulate God. And Jesus is like, that's not how it works, bub. That's not how it goes. So his interaction with him is based on knowing what Nicodemus' limitation was in following him. He knew precisely what was keeping Nicodemus from trusting. What keeps you from trusting? 
What keeps you from believing? What keeps you from following? Is God surprised by that? No. He gets you, and his interaction with you will be based on that. It's not one size fits all. He walks among us personal to your story. Know that about him. But you can be confident that when Jesus answers your questions, this is what you can predict, he will always do it with grace and truth. Incredible that he treated Nicodemus with grace. You know, it says Nicodemus came at night. And it would be easy to think, well, Nicodemus came at night because he was hiding, he was scared, he was afraid. You know, Jesus could have said, dude, why don't you have man up and come, you big religious muckety-muck, why don't you come and talk to me in the daylight? He didn't say that to him. He sat down and they had a cup of joe and they had a conversation because he's all he's going to treat you with grace, but he's also going to treat you with truth, and we don't like the truth, don't we? I mean, we, we hear the truth, and we go, no, I don't want to hear the truth. So we come to God, we bring him our questions, he says something truthful, oh, be gracious with me, gentle with me, patient with me, God, but I don't want to hear the truth, and then we mute him when we hear something we don't like and go, ah, I don't believe. Who's the idiot? You, me. We're muting the King of kings and Lord of lords and expecting he's not going to be truthful with us? He loves you too much to not be truthful. He cares too much. So with Nicodemus, he's like, I'm going to be gracious with you, kid, but I'm going to be truthful. And it isn't about whether you like it or not. I love you too much to hold back with the truth that you need to hear. I'll apply it gently. I'll be patient with you. But I'm going to bring you the truth. Each and every time. I love verse 8. It's kind of why I started talking about this. I love verse 8. It says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Is that not the truest statement? We know wind. We see and experience and feel wind, but we can't figure wind out, can we? We can't figure it out. I love that John dropped this in here because maybe, just maybe, the wind blows wherever he pleases. Maybe, just maybe, we can't figure it out, but we can feel it. We don't understand it, but we know it's true. We can't science it. We can't predict it. Oh, we can predict it in a lot, but not. Maybe, just maybe, he wants us to know he's here, but he's not going to be put into a box. He's here, and he's blowing, and he's doing something among us, but he won't be put into your box for you to solve and predict and forecast perfectly on your calendar and in your way. Maybe, just maybe, you feel the wind blowing in your life, and you know he's doing something in your circumstances, something in your relationships, something in your mind, something in your heart. You can't explain it, you don't understand it, but you feel it and know it to be true. You see, you might not be able to explain it, but you can believe today that there's one who can and knows exactly why this is happening and loves you enough to use all kinds of circumstances that God is doing something in this world, something in your life today that he has a purpose for you. You're not an accident. He has a purpose for the pain that you're going through. It's not an accident that he loves you and cares about you even though it's confusing and you can't explain it and you can't figure it out and it doesn't make sense. 
Maybe, just maybe, he's trying to get your attention and draw you closer to him because though you can't figure him out or control him, you can follow him. You can't predict him. You can't maybe understand him. Maybe you've got doubts and it's hard. You're going through a difficult season. You're confused. Circumstances are crazy. You can't control, but you can follow someone who says, I will be gentle with you, I will be patient with you, I will be gracious to you, I will be truthful with you, you can trust me, just follow me when you can't figure it out, because you'll never figure it out. Just follow me, and I will lead you, and I will give you eternal life that starts today and goes on forever. This is Jesus. Pray with me. Incredible that you can't be dissected in a petri dish of our science. Though you created science, and I'm a big fan of science, and you are a big fan of science, it's your science. You have not allowed us to predict, forecast your motion and actions because you want us to follow you, to trust you, to love you, to be satisfied in you. That the intimacy that we all crave, the closeness that we all desire, the satisfaction we chase, the more is always you. And you're gentle enough, kind enough, patient enough to not force yourself down anyone's throat but just invite us to follow you. Be gracious with us this week. Be truthful to us this week. We will follow you. Amen.